0: Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind. Listeners know that we explore many realms of the human journey, and some of our podcasts, including some of my favorites, delve into wisdom traditions, sometimes ancient writings or teachings that arise from a variety of backgrounds, sources that help us to focus on truths that really matter. And a lot of this boils down to connecting to something bigger than ourselves, to see that we're all part of some mysterious river of meaning, that the whole is truly greater than the sum of its parts. When I can get calm and touch that inner place of quietude, it points me homeward. Thank you. This Humankind special project, The Power of Nonviolence, is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by a major grant from the Henry Luce Foundation.
1: Yes, there is a risk. There's a risk of becoming even more human. There's a risk of growing. There's a risk of letting go of conditioning. There's a risk of healing. There's a risk of deepening a relationship that you had no idea was possible. It's very risky.
0: We reflect on what it means to deeply, genuinely hear another person, even when you're stuck in bitter conflict. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. It's so easy to misread another person. When distractions intrude, we can miss or misinterpret what's being spoken. Or our pre-existing opinions may color and distort our perceptions of the other person and what they're actually saying. But if we can center ourselves and get inwardly quiet and truly tune into the person, it can help to heal and resolve conflict. Betty Burks has tried to practice this rich level of communication.
1: Oh, it's such a wonderful thing. Deep listening, uh, for me, begins with silence. It's pausing. It's opening. Opening the heart, opening the mind. Softening. Relaxing. And then trusting what emerges. That's deep listening.
0: Betty is an educator and activist in Cambridge, Massachusetts, a former Montessori teacher and Peace Corps volunteer. She served as a UN peace educator and has led youth development activities in New Orleans. Navigating different cultures has required finely honed communication skills.
1: Say you're in a situation that is conflictual, like you've gotten really riled up about something this is what happens to me I've heard something, somebody said something I want to react but I'm something cautions me and I pause, that's the first one you pause and then you open or relax open to open to what's happening, opening to yourself opening to what you're hearing opening it's a little bit like being empathetic It's like allowing yourself to be empathetic, allowing yourself to just be with what's happening. Like feel your heartbeat, which is racing by then. So you relax, and then you notice what comes up. Trust what's emerging. Be aware of what you're feeling, really. It's like notice the feelings without reacting, without responding, just noticing them, and then listen deeply before you speak the truth. It's a very, very beautiful practice.
0: Listen deeply before you speak. What are you listening for?
1: The truth. You're listening to what's really true in this moment.
0: Not so much the other person's perspective.
1: No, no. Listening to perhaps his perspective or her perspective, but more to your own reactivity your own reaction what's coming up for you and if you can be in touch with that it's a bridge to being in touch with them
0: otherwise you're not noticing your bias your lens upon the situation
1: yeah you're not noticing you're not in touch with what's really triggering this reactivity in you and creating this this angst this, uh, this anger, this frustration. It could even be heartbreak. And it gives you time to remember your values. It gives you time to remember your own commitments to how to be in relationship to others in the world.
0: So that's the power of pausing.
1: Yes, it is the power of pausing. It gives you time to recollect, to re-regain Your true self.
0: Let's talk about pain
1: and anger. Two good friends.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or not very good friends. Yeah. Which are usually present when people are locked in dispute. Yeah. What are your thoughts on how to process those?
1: Well, there's pain and then there's a story about the pain. <laughs> or there's anger, and there's a story about the anger. And that's what creates the suffering. I mean, when you're angry, you're suffering, right? And when you're in pain, you're suffering. There's a suffering. The suffer- Suffering is happening. And the suffering that's happening with the pain is about the story, which is a mental, psychological, emotional issue. It's not the knife that cut your skin or the person that called you a bad name or the car that cut in front of you. That happened. It happened. It might have created pain. But what we get caught up in is the suffering from it, and that's the story we bring to it
0: story we tell ourselves?
1: Yeah, the story we create around it.
0: <laughs> and by that, you're not suggesting that somebody who recklessly cuts you off in traffic or w- were to cut you is blameless.
1: No, they did something really unskillful. But the anger that comes from that is, is the story I tell about them or I tell it about myself.
0: So that's your side of the eye. Yeah.
1: Hour. And that, that's, it's really subtle, I've, 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 I struggle with this, or I'm not really struggling with it, but I'm really curious about um, how this, how this actually arises, this, the Buddha calls it the double, the double sword of suffering, is that stuff happens, right, it, this really, things happen, and We get upset about them, or they get in our way, or they can create harm. But then it's not just that they happen. Then we create all the story about why they happened and and what's going to happen because that happened.
0: And that adds to the suffering.
1: It, It creates the suffering. Again, I think when we get angry, if we can pause and relax and just open to the moment, trust emergence... Listen deeply, it can create a whole different environment for us to be in that situation.
0: Betty Burks has learned skills from teachers of conflict resolution. She cites her mother and grandmother as models, and the Buddhist author Gregory Kramer. She was also influenced by the late Marshall Rosenberg, who developed specific principles in a system known as nonviolent communication, which can help to cool down hostility.
1: What I understand often in those situations is that the person that's angry becomes that anger.
0: The person becomes the anger.
1: The person takes on that situation that's made them angry. It's like being occupied by it or being um, kidnapped by the situation and becoming helpless. And that's when we give up our sacredness we give up that piece of ourselves that are inviolable we allow them to be we allow it to be violated by whatever happened and i always want to say if I we're going to interrupt it is you are not that thing that happened to you that's not who you are and what rosenberg would say is you have a choice about how you feel about it. You have a choice in this very moment to be in charge of how you feel about what happened to you, and it doesn't have to be anger.
0: That's the human birthright right there, the choice as to how we will respond to our environment.
1: That's right, yeah. That's what we have. That's our sacred right, our human right, if you like. To be choiceful about how we feel. Our feelings are our own. They are in, we make them up. We choose them. And it's so powerful and empowering to know that you have a choice about how you feel. It doesn't mean you can change it. <laughs> you know, racism is there. You might not be able to change this, the racist moment that just happened and infuriated you. But you get to choose how you feel about it, and that freedom is unbelievable.
0: Betty Burks regularly attends a practice group for nonviolent communication. The key techniques they practice are to describe your own needs honestly, try to sense the needs of others, no matter how they express their needs, to check with the other person, to verify that your understanding of their needs matches theirs, to show genuine empathy and concern, and to choose language that is non-inflammatory. This simple formula can go a long way to promoting satisfactory solutions for all parties in a dialogue, but it requires a commitment to attentive listening.
1: And in preparation to listening... To do some real opening exercises, often sitting in silence, often um, hearing about the histories of the people that are going to be in the dialogue, so that you can begin to develop some empathy, so that you can listen with a real open heart. And you know, I think this has been really, really effective in the um, the undoing racism work that's gone on in various places, the work in Palestine, in Israel, the work in South Africa similar, where the goal was to heal some of the wounds that had been created by situations, conditioning, and bringing the different factions together and creating a space in which people could really listen to each other And in that listening, it's amazing how we find our own selves, how the other side becomes a mirror. We become mirror to the other side, and they become a mirror to us.
0: Can you just explain that a little bit? Yeah.
1: In the suffering and the harm and the hurt and the injustice that... Both sides feel they've endured. There is something very connecting about that. The realities of both sides are reflected in each other's reality.
0: So you're saying if I feel victimized by your behavior and you feel victimized by my behavior, that itself creates a common ground from which maybe reconciliation can occur. Yeah,
1: and recognition before reconciliation Recognition of my suffering and your suffering and your suffering and my suffering. My victimization does not look that different from your victimization. It's like a full circle.
0: And does it take two to tango? Does it yes, does it yes. does it take both parties sharing an intention to enter into that level of understanding?
1: It does. Absolutely, that commitment has to be on both sides. And that doesn't mean that at the end of it, you're going to get what what you wanted, but you do get to still be in charge of how you feel about it.
0: You're listening to The Power of Nonviolence, a special project from Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. To learn more about nonviolent communication and to obtain audio copies or downloads of the series, please visit humanmedia.org. A most unusual group called the Jewish Islamic Dialogue Society of Washington, D.C., promotes mutual understanding between followers of two of the world's great faith traditions, Judaism and Islam are sometimes depicted as so sharply divergent from each other as to be irreconcilable. But Daniel Spiro, an attorney and novelist in Washington who is Jewish, reached a striking conclusion after studying Islam. If you want to be a better Jew, he wrote, study Islam and you'll find plenty with which to fall in love. If you want to be a better Muslim, study Judaism, and you too will find plenty with which to fall in love. These faiths, he said, beautifully complement each other. Thus the idea for the Jewish-Islamic Dialogue Society, known as JIDS, was born. Shortly after its founding in 2009, JIDS attracted a devout Washington-area Muslim, Haytham Yunus, whom Dan Spiro
2: befriended. Haytham and I uh, both share a sense of humor. Um, maybe you could call it a Borscht Belt sense of humor. I sometimes will introduce Haytham as a, someone who wishes he had been a Borscht circuit comedian, but instead just has to talk about Islam. Um, but, you know, we, we, we laugh at the dark side of life and we're both very, very interested in religion. You could say maybe it's our ultimate concern but we approach religion very differently. He approaches Islam through the idea of submission, submission to the word. I approach religion through philosophy. Hatham is many things, but he's not a philosopher. So, you know, they say opposites attract. I mean, uh, our approaches are different enough that, that we learn from each other.
0: Dan is younger than me and he's my older brother. Katham Yunus, the son of Syrian immigrants, was born in the United States and raised in the small town of Greenville, Michigan. He's become good friends with Dan Spiro. You know, he's such a mother hen,
3: um, but he has the right to be the mother hen because, really, he is the, the he is the pedestal upon which Jids rests. Um, so, you know, so he's he, he's a bit of a kvetch, someone who's you know. Always, you know, telling you what to do and a little bit annoying, but he has the right. He has the right to do that. He and I are very good friends. My wife, you know, looks at us and she says, gosh, you you guys are, are like brothers. You seem like
2: brothers. Um, and we've always been so. I really love Dan. You know, we've watched football together. I, we just enjoy each other's company. We talk about all aspects of our lives. You know, it's in, in his case, it is hard to use the word cousin. It feels more like a brother, but... Uh, you know, we keep trying to say we need to use the word cousin to, to illustrate that there are differences between Jews and Muslims, and we need to embrace those differences. So we, we you could call a, a fellow Jew a brother or a sister, but, but it's actually more helpful um, for Jews to call the Muslims cousins and vice versa, so that we can illustrate we're different, but we're family, we're close family. And so, yeah, you know, we, we do try to, to keep our discipline and use that term. But Haytham is, 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 I feel, very close to. The Jewish Islamic Dialogue
0: Society convenes monthly discussions that bring together dozens of Jews and Muslims. They're encouraged to speak frankly and with love in their hearts. Participants come from different mosques and synagogues and different denominations in those two religions. Haytham Yunus. Well, JIDS has always
3: had a wonderful, wonderful track record. We've met almost every month, and we've even met at times when there was conflict in the world. The last war in Gaza, we had a a JIDS meeting. Most of the time we talk about theological issues, but that particular meeting we got together and talked about Israel and Palestine, And it was as cordial, as friendly, as warm as ever. It really is like family members getting together. And of course, you know, the two traditions of Judaism and Islam are very close. I mean, incredibly close, down to the details. Um, I always say that as far as my, my knowledge is concerned, there are no two different religions in the world that are as close to each other as Judaism and Islam. So it's, a, it's really actually a natural fit.
0: One topic that comes up a lot in the dialogues is Islamophobia, a trend unmistakably on the rise in the United States. The Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at California State University reports that anti-Muslim harassment and violence in America tripled after the December 2015 terrorist attack in Paris. In one incident, a passenger in a taxi in Pittsburgh began ranting about ISIS and shot his Moroccan-born 38-year-old driver in the back. Compounding this tide of hostility is a surge of anti-immigrant sentiment reinforced by incendiary comments from politicians. Dan Spiro.
2: If you look at the JIDS website, the, uh, jids.org, there's a picture of the two of us on the Founders page. And I showed that to somebody once, and and, and he looked at Hatham, who had a beard, and, um, as I said, Syrian-American, and, and he said, he would skin you in three seconds. And I, I made that statement in a JIDS meeting to uh, illustrate you know, the kind of Islamophobia that we have to deal with in the society. And Haytham, a nanosecond later, said, you think it would take me that long? And that's just the way Haytham is. Haytham laughs at everything.
3: I give lectures sometimes at uh, local air, you know, area schools, and um, I remember going to a high school and asking the students um, with regards to um, people outside of their faith tradition, um, who do they associate with? and i always find that the muslim students and the jewish students gravitate towards each other you know and there's a deep understanding there you know about religion you know when you we talk about dietary laws it's it's second nature it's it's second hand i mean it's 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 it's
0: understood the jews have the kosher tradition the muslims have halal yes
2: and i mean down to details of the law we actually had a session that was devoted to identifying what unifies us and what divides us. And we polled our group to identify unifiers and dividers. And the idea is that th- we would then have sessions devoted to both the unifiers and the dividers, you know, one at a time. And the, the winners On the unifiers were, number one, the experience of being a member of a a minority group, at least here in America. Both um, Muslims and Jews totally share that. Number two, our common ultimate values and examples that were given were the belief in in the importance of charity, justice, peace, truth, humility, and gratitude.
0: Give us that list again. That's a pretty powerful list. Charity,
2: justice, peace, truth, humility, and gratitude. The third unifier was the fact that we are both products of the Middle East in culture, history, and language, because the languages are very similar. Um, and fourth, of course, our strict monotheism. I thought that was a pretty good list. And again, that wasn't my list. That was, the, that was the collective wisdom of a number of people, but I thought that was a pretty good list.
0: Haytham Yunus, who today serves as an imam or Islamic prayer leader, said he had developed a deep fascination with Judaism as a young adult. His interest was kindled by admiration for a close friend who was Jewish. While in college, Haytham says he underwent a personal crisis that led to a state of desperation. His father, a physician raised in a religious Muslim family, visited his troubled son and suggested that Haytham consider praying. That gave some relief, which led him to start studying the Quran. The impact, he says, was positive and immediate.
3: Both the Quran, which is our revealed book, and the Torah, which was given to Moses, the book of the, of the children of Israel, both of these books are complete codes of law, and they cover every aspect of life. Then you get down to the concept of God, the absolute oneness of God. It seems to be that Judaism and Islam are purely monotheistic, in the sense that um, God is absolutely one, has no partners, Um, does not manifest himself physically in any form, um, is not confined by time or space, does not have offspring, um, and that God is the only
0: one to whom worship and prayer is to be directed. This monotheistic outlook is the common denominator for Islam and Judaism. Amid their slightly differing languages, their varied prayers and religious holidays and customs, They are united by a belief in one God, a universal higher power who sets the immutable laws of nature and establishes the enduring moral code for human beings. And for the faithful, God is an ever-present defining force in their lives. Dan Spiro.
2: You just can't spend a lot of time not thinking about God. You just cannot go day in, day out disregarding God. If God becomes such a small concern in your life, um, then you're you're sort of missing the point of monotheism. Or if you have multiple gods and there's no sense of the ultimate, then you're missing the point of monotheism. Now, again, I'm not saying everybody should be a monotheist. I'm not here to denigrate other approaches to spirituality, but I'm, I'm only talking about my own and, and that of, uh, uh, of traditional Muslims. Now, you often hear the term ethical monotheism to refer to these faiths. I think that it is safe to say, certainly in prophetic Judaism, which uh, an approach to Judaism that I admire, you, you know, if you have a, a belief in God um, and a uh, you know a sense of, of, of respect for the ultimate, and then you go out and, and you cheat and you lie and you steal, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. you've missed the whole point. And I think that, you know, you, you can't lose your humanism. You can't lose love for animals. You can't lose love for the planet because then you really are denigrating God. You're not honoring God through your actions.
3: I have often thought that I would love to have a program where people are um, introduced to each other and given some incentive, I don't know, a tax break or something, to actually sit and have dinner together on more than one occasion. You know, a, a Christian family getting to know a Muslim family or a Jewish family getting to know a Muslim family. Um, a cultural exchange. Because once that's done, you know, it's always the same thing. You realize that the person that you're talking to is not a monster. Um, They don't have some ulterior plan, ulterior motive going on. Um, They're just a human being like you. Imam
0: Haytham Yunus, preceded by his friend Daniel Spiro, co-founders of the Jewish Islamic Dialogue Society of Washington, D.C. Spiro is an attorney and author of Liberating the Holy Name. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart-Rose. Editorial assistance from David Cruz, Ken Rogers, Kathy Graham, Mark Kilstein, and Bond Collard. Webmaster, Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with Connie Goldman Productions. Program development provided by Shart Media.
1: To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website, where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. And our web address is humanmedia.org.
0: And you can subscribe to our free weekly podcast, Humankind on Public Radio, at iTunes. This segment in our series, The Power of Nonviolence, is Humankind Program number 245.
1: The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind.